Hey moms, welcome back. <laughs> I know it's been a minute. I took a few weeks off just for the holidays and spent some time with family that was much needed and to nurture myself. But we're back and I hope you had a great holiday season and that you're walking into this new year with excitement and intention and new possibilities and hope. But today we're going to kick things off in the new year with Kelly Kendall, who I'll give a formal introduction to later. But what I want to warn you about right now is that for one, this is a hard episode. We're going to hear about the story in the life of Colby, which was her first daughter, who she knew through pregnancy had a genetic disorder, a rare one. And they knew there would be some difficulties going in and once Colby was born, but they were not prepared for the true condition that Colby would be in once she was her side and really, truly the, the trauma that followed that and just the grief. But I, what I want you to remember through all of this because there are a lot of tears shed and it will feel hard and heavy, but there's so much beauty in this at the end. And I know that you're going to feel just as proud of Kelly as I do, even if you don't know her and you're going to be inspired by the true power and magic of the way they have decided to honor and live a life for Colby. I also want to warn you that this is real motherhood. Kelly just had a little girl. She's three months old, her second daughter, Kenley. You're going to hear the dogs. Daddy's helping out with Kenley while we're recording. And so there's some crying in the background. It's all real. But anyway, I don't want to waste too much more time. Let's get into the episode. I'm so excited for you to hear it. Here is Kelly. Welcome back to the Mama Inspired Podcast. Whether you're struggling to become the mama you've always known you're meant to be, or you're holding that miracle in your arms, hear me now when I tell you that you are not alone, and that on the other side of this hard, a brand new life awaits you. Hey lady, I'm Sarah Wayne Scott. I'm here to encourage a more enlightened, compassionate, and empowered mom collective. I believe that through guru guidance, stories from mamas just like you, and a whole lot of momspiration for me, we can begin to make the transformation from messy to truly inspired. So swap out the breast pad, wipe off the barf. <laughs> it's mama time. Well, hello, my mamas. Today is going to be a really incredibly special day for me, and I know it's going to be for all of you guys too, because we have um, Kelly Kendall on as our guest today, and she's going to be telling us a pretty incredible story of her journey into motherhood, a loss of a child, and then a new pregnancy with this beautiful baby girl that she has now, and just her healing journey. And the reason why it's so special is, for one, Kelly is, she is one of those people that <laughs> he, you come into somebody's life and there's just no way that somebody can forget you, even if it's for a short period of time. But I was lucky enough to have basically grown up with you. And Kelly and I actually, we grew up in the same town of Tipton, Indiana. And although our families, they, they knew each other, I guess, even before, you know, middle school, high school, Kelly and I really budded our relationship in high school. And so it wasn't until we both were singing in the Young Originals, the high school show choir, and then we we took leads in, in two of the high school musicals, which was just such a blast. But we had such an incredible friendship and we went through some really hard crap <laughs> like those few early years. 
And, you know, after high school, we kind of kept in touch a little bit, but Kelly went off to California and just like her own like rock star life. And we would like touch back every now and then. And really it's just been in the last several months that we've kind of started talking more and more and motherhood has really just joined us together. And it's really crazy because it just feels, it, it, it feels like a lot of time has passed because I feel like there's so much for us to catch up on. And it's so amazing when we chat, but at the same time, it feels like no time has passed because it just feels so natural. And I just, I cherish it so much. And so today is going to be really amazing because it's Kelly and she's incredible and she's just this ray of sunshine, but it's is also going to be a really hard story. Like I just got chills down my legs thinking about how this crazy this is going to be, but, um, I know it's going to be really special because it's you and I've actually not heard the story in its entirety. Um, you know, I've checked it. I checked in with you when things were going on and of course followed along as Stanley, you know, updated posts, but I've not heard it. And so I'm, I'm excited to hear it. And I'm also just mentally and emotionally preparing myself because I know it's going to be tough, but because it's you, it's just all that more special. So anyway, welcome. I'm so happy you're here. And so I feel so grateful that you're willing to share it with me and with, with the mom inspired, all the ladies. Well, thank you. I love you so much. That was such a beautiful introduction. (laughs) Um, you know, if I could help one person, one mama, one family, one father, be prepared in any mindset for what I went through that was completely thrown at me unexpected in any aspect of my story, I will be honored to just have shared. I think that she definitely, my daughter Colby came to this earth to, for a reason. She fought for a reason, which we'll get into later. And I just think that maybe this is part of her story. Part of her journey is me sharing it and letting other people know that she existed and what we went through and how to turn something so tragic into something as beautiful as my husband and I have these days. So that's like so yeah. incredibly beautiful. I can't, <laughs> I can't deal. <laughs> well, why don't you start? I want you to start, um, really kind of your journey into pregnancy and like, cause I know that that was, that was a little surprising and it was, it was. So AJ and I both have been the majority of our lives in committed relationships. Um, me specifically, the last relationship before him was an eight year relationship. Um, and we definitely were not, not trying to have kids. Like if it was going to happen, it was going to happen. There was no protection whatsoever. Um, so never had I got pregnant, um, with any of like my serious relationships. So, nor he, so when we got together, him, AJ being also my seventh grade sweetheart. So I moved back to Indiana to stop him and make him mine basically. Um, When we started dating, we quickly, I think it was like week two, I was like, I'm falling in love with you. And he was like, oh my God, you're so crazy. And I was like, I know, but it's happening. Um, So very quickly, we like, we're like, do you want kids? And he's like, you know, I always thought I'd have a family. So did I, but neither of us had made kids. So we probably can't. Right. Um, So maybe about like six months into like dating ish, I was like, you know what? I'm going to just start tracking my period and see if it's possible So I started using this app, Natural Cycles, which I love, which like takes your basal temperature and all that stuff. Anyway, six months later, um, my period was like on time all the time, like down to the hour. I knew exactly when it was coming and it didn't come. So I had a couple pregnancy tests and I took two and I FaceTimed my mom and I was like, 
are you seeing what I'm seeing? And she's like, I'm seeing what you're seeing. And I was like, I'm going to the store. And so like, I literally peed on like eight sticks. (laughs) And then I begged AJ to let me bring him and his crew lunch that day. And I drove to where they were because he lays asphalt. And I told him to open this bag and he loves candy, loves, loves sweets. And so he thought like I bought some ridiculous amount of candy or something and I have him open it. It was like a scratch off. I have the video of it. And it said, you know, like, we're going to be parents. And he looked at me like, shut the F up. And I was like, I'm serious. Like, it was just this whole thing. We were excited and scared and shocked. And <laughs> there's no way. Oh, my gosh, this is going to happen. So anyways, then all the things happen. You know, you start researching doctors and where you want to go and where you want to be. And so I found this. I try to be as natural as possible. I am in no way a purist. But I guess I'm a little bit more on the crunchier side. I like to be um, as less medication as possible, all that kind of stuff. So I found this amazing doctor in Indianapolis, Dr. Rising. She's now married. It's Dr. Del Coco. And she, her office is fantastic. Um, And we went for initial appointments. um, We did blood work. um, I found out that, yes, I was pregnant. My progesterone was low. Never heard of that. And I have MTHFR which I know the nutritionist spoke about. Um, so I was like, oh my gosh. All right. So I need to start taking a different prenatal because I'd always taken prenatals as my vitamins, even when I was in my eight year relationship, yeah. just to always, you know, just be prepared just in case. So, um, she puts us on progesterone shots and, um, I change my prenatal. Let's stop really quick because for people who aren't avid listeners like you, maybe this is the first episode those into. Can you you want to explain to them what MTHFR is? Sure. So MTHFR is basically a genetic thing that folic acid does not turn into folate in your system, and folate really is what basically helps develop the baby's specifically the baby's spine, but the baby's system just in general. Um, best getting from obviously your veggies. Um, but a lot of like just your regular prenatals just have folic acid and folic acid when people with MTHFR, which is a lot more women than you would think it actually, um, turns toxic in the system. So then a, you're not getting any folate or methylfolate or folinic acid. Um, it's actually hurting your system more than doing any good. So obviously I didn't know that. And here I've been taking this toxic vitamin forever um, which really plays into my story. Um, so I'm on all these things and we get to go back and we have this ultrasound and we're so excited and he's with me and the ultrasound tech is, I think she said, she's like been on the job for like two weeks. And so we're all like, Oh, we get to see the ultrasound and you can just see like, as she was doing her thing, she just kind of got a little quiet. Yeah. Um, and she's like, I'm going to, I'm just going to go talk to the doctor. And as soon as she left AJ and I were like, something's up. Like we can just feel it. Yeah. She comes back and she says, we want you to go see maternal fetal medicine, which is the pregnancy specialist today. And we were like, oh, what's wrong? And she's like, well, we're, we're not for sure. We can't say anything, but you need a high def ultrasound. And I was like, okay. So like before we even left the room, they were on the phone with the doctor's office making the appointment. So here we are just panicked. We don't know what is going on. What's like, is the baby not alive? Like what, what, what's wrong? Right. So they end up saying the maternal fetal medicine says, you know, we'd like to wait a week. We want the baby to grow a little bit more. So we go home and we're like, 
okay, Can someone tell us what's going on. We got to wait a week. So we wait a week, you know, obviously families all been alerted because it's so exciting. We're yeah. both in our thirties. I, we weren't supposed to get pregnant. So here we go. So we go to maternal fetal medicine and let me just say the best team. I love, love, love them. Um, um, so we go, we get blood work taken all do da 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 dee. And the doctor informs us that she has a, we don't know she's she at the time, but the baby has, um, a nuchal translucency abnormality, meaning normally on an ultrasound, you see, um, kind of an outline of the baby's skull where maybe you would think it was skin, um, where hers was separated quite largely, meaning there's water on the skull or on the brain. Okay. Um, normally that's a marker. What I thought was for down syndrome. Cause I have four or five down syndrome children in my family, including my youngest brother. Yeah. So I was like down syndrome, not a problem. I yeah. can handle this. Been through it. No big deal. <laughs> AJ was a little bit more like, oh man, like, you know, like you, yeah. every child you want to be perfect and healthy, yeah. but like your first, you just want that miracle, wonderful story. So he was just like, Oh, you know, I can, can I do this? He's never dealt with special needs kids. He's never, he, can I be a dad for special needs kids? You know, there's a lot of doubts now in his mind. And, uh, we did, you know, blood work to start ruling out genetics. And I think we opted for like the test that does like 54 genetics versus a thousand and something. And I said, you know, keep growing the baby, keep going to your regular doctor. Um, we'll see you in, you know, eight weeks or whatever it was. We'll see you when the time it was spaced out in the beginning, you know, we see this, but you know, it could correct itself. We'll get the blood work going, whatever. Okay. So the blood work comes back and it's not down syndrome and it's not the 54 other things that they searched for. And it looks like the nuchal translucency line has shrunk. So we're good. Yeah. Here we go. Great. Maybe it corrected itself. We'll see you in a couple more weeks. Go back to your regular doctor. So we do all that. Um, and in the meantime, they did have me meet with a genetics counselor just to go over all the different varieties of things that possibly could happen with the nuchal translu- uh, translucency line. Okay. So we do that. I, we get informed. Um, we go back in for the third time to maternal fetal medicine. and there's definitely something wrong. Um, and by the time we go for that, the doctor, Dr. Bivens is like, I think you've passed the sniff test. You're my patient now. Cool. Meaning there's something wrong with this baby. Yeah. We're going to see you through yeah. the whole pregnancy. So, okay. So then we do more testing and we do an amniocentesis that day, which my brother, John, who has Down syndrome was in the room with us that day. Cause I was babysitting him and he was just fascinated. It was so cool to have him there and just to have the staff meet him, you know, yeah. he's just, he's life, he's love. Yeah. So it was really neat for, he made it very light for a very, um, serious situation. In fact, when it was all done and the doctor walked out, he said, Oh shit. <laughs> he could feel the heaviness in the room. He had no idea what was going on, but he just knew, you know, he could feel it. Yeah. So yeah. long story short, it comes back and there is a neural tube defect. So they're thinking definitely it's spina bifida for sure. Um, meaning her spine did not close all the way. 
So it could either be open inside of her and it was down at the base towards her rear. So it could either be open inside of her or open to the earth when she's born, like open to the air. Um, either way, she has to have surgery and it could be multiple surgeries. And depending on how high or how low this opening in the spine is, um, will depend on if there's any other abnormalities in her body. Meaning if it's super low, we could have a urinary issue where her bladder and colon don't work. If it's higher, it could be her arms or, you know, we just yeah. don't know. And that all goes back to every mother should be tested for MTHFR in the absolute beginning. If you're planning a pregnancy, get tested before you get pregnant, get on the proper I can't say this enough. Get on the proper folinic acid, the folate, do what you need to do. Don't, don't take the basics if you're not sure. And it's genetic. So if I have it, most likely my family members have it. Okay. There's a higher probability. So anyways, off that soapbox. Because no, a, a lot of doctors, including my specialist was like, there's not enough material to support it. It's not a big deal. MTHFR isn't going to make that much of a difference. And I fully beg to differ. And so did the specialist doctor. And so does a lot of other people like normal doctors will tell you it doesn't matter, but it does. I firmly believe it does. So anyway, off my soapbox. So, (laughs) so we do the amniocentesis, they find out, um, it's spina bifida. And now we're like, Oh, there's all these things that rush over you. Like is she going to be in a wheelchair? Will she never run, you know, settling in with that and then coming to terms of like trying to make it wonderful. Like yeah. my husband's a big hunter. So like he'll put tractor tires on a wheelchair for her to go hunting with him. And, you know, like we come up with all these plans of including her in our hikes and on our trips and all these kind of things. So in the interim, we've now um, scheduled specialist appointments with a neonatologist, a spinal surgeon, a pediatric surgeon. We meet the NICU team. I mean, I'm talking, it was a day of specialists where we just went around St. Vincent hospital meeting all of these people that we were going to come in contact with when she was born. Wow. So we're talking about, you know, how they're going to handle the surgery. If it's opened, if it's closed, as soon as she's born, we don't get to hold her. There's no cutting of the cord. She's probably going to be rushed straight to surgery. If it is closed, maybe we'll wait for a couple of days and let her gain some strength and do some more, you know, all these different things. So we're going to all these different people, getting all this information, you know, taking our notes, staying hopeful, reporting back to family. Um, and then they, um, through all of this, you know, I'm getting checked now weekly, I think at this point, um, at the maternal fetal medicine and there are every time it's something different, you know, she should be breathing on her own by now. She's really small, like in the fifth percentile, um, you know, her muscle mass, you know, isn't looking right. And keep in mind this whole pregnancy from beginning to end, I carried her to 37 weeks. I never, ever felt her move. Not once. So now having a healthy pregnancy, that would have freaked me out even more knowing how much you can feel your baby move. Yeah. I never, ever felt her move. So, um, they're like, there's low muscle mass. We want to do an MRI. And I'm like, is that safe for a baby? (laughs) Yeah. You know, an MRI. Okay. So I go and 
I get the MRI done and it comes back that she absolutely has low muscle mass. Like there's now at this point, I'm probably at week 28, 29, and there are multiple things wrong with her. And working with maternal fetal medicine, it was interesting because our doctor was very seasoned. He's never seen this case before. We were the 51st case in the world to know to have this strain of this genetic disorder. Um, but at times he was very, and probably for the better, and maybe looking right after her passing, I was a little pissed. Sure. But like, he was a little bit more blase about it. Like just very, well, honey, you know, you know, she's sick. You know, it wasn't like we were never, ever told this could be fatal. Like she's not going to make it. We were never told that it was always, you know, if, if she may be surgeries, it may be, she's going to need another one at three years old. I mean, it was, there was always hope, which I think honestly was very smart yeah. for then all of us to thrive and fight. Yeah. But looking back, I almost wish that maybe there was a little bit more transparency to prepare us yeah. for what was to come. So, um, we know she's sick. We know all this is happening and obviously this may be our only pregnancy. So my mom, grandma, just completely thrilled is planning. And you know, my mom, the world's biggest baby shower. I mean, <laughs> over 250 invitations went out. Couples were invited, moms, dads, kids, the whole thing. It was held at this country club in Carmel. She really out there. It was beautiful. It, I'm so thankful for it. It was, you know, it was over, over the top. <clears throat> and, deserve over the top. Well, thank you. It's <laughs> really, not really my, I, I, know, I learned but... a little bit more behind the scenes than I am on stage. Like I was in high school, but <laughs> so at week 30, I'm put on bed rest. I am in preterm labor. Um, I'm in full contractions all the time. Um, I'm put on medication, bed rest, and my mom, you know, we're asking the doctor, can I even go to my baby shower? So they literally set up a Kings and Queens chair, like a throne. And I wasn't allowed to move. And I was served the whole, I mean, it was so ridiculous. It was beautiful and I loved it, but it was ridiculous. <laughs> and I end up going to triage four different times. Like some I'm in labor. So she's here. Like there's, I, it was, it was intense and painful. And you know, any mom that's been through contractions, I went through six weeks of it. So we go for our 37 week appointment and her heart rate starts descending off and on throughout the visit. And at this point we're doing tri-weekly visits for BPPs, which is a biophysical profile. And the biophysical profiles basically is like a report card to her health. Yeah. Is she moving? Is her, how's her heart rate, her lungs? Um, can you hear her in the background, by the way? Yes. I'm going to tell you if you ever need to stop. Dogs. The okay. dogs just opened the door, so I'm just gonna shut it again. Make sure the hubby's okay. He's good. He's a fantastic father. Um, so we're getting BPP. So 37 weeks, her heart rate starts to drop, and they're like, "We're gonna stick you on the monitor here for, you know, 30 minutes." I was like, "Okay." Meanwhile, I should say they've already planned us for a C-section because she was measuring like in the second percentile. So labor and pushing her would, yeah. she would not have missed it. Yeah. So we go, I'm on the monitor and they're like, you know, maybe she's just grabbing 
her umbilical cord, but you're delivering this baby today. Funny story about that. My mom's at the appointment with me because AJ is at work and she's been off work a lot helping me because I've been on bed rest. Even more so after a C-section as all C-section moms know, you need the most help afterwards. And so she's like, you know what? I'm just going to quit my job. (laughs) I'm going to find a job after, you know, helping you for a month or whatever, getting you on your feet. This is a special situation, a special baby. She's an angel. So as I'm on the monitor for 30 minutes, my mom's in the hallway quitting her job. (laughs) So when she walks back in, I'm already up to triage in the hospital part. And she's like, where's my daughter? Oh, she's delivering today, by the way. So (laughs) she immediately got put on, go get the pregnancy bag, check on the dogs, you know, all the things I'm calling AJ. He's like, are you serious? And I was like, I'm serious. He's like, I'm on my way. Well, he's a foreman at his job. So he's happened to leave, you know, he was training, I think at that time, actually be foreman. So he has to leave his job. It was just a big to do. So by the time he gets there, there was a mom before me that was having emergency twins. And so the whole NICU team was hands-on and they had got Colby to a place where she was, she was okay enough to last a little bit longer inside of me. Okay. Um, and at this point, like I've already done the magnesium drips several visits ago, hospital stays every time I went into triage, like, okay, that's not going to work this time. The baby needs to come. So we get all suited up and in we go. And my doctor of course is on vacation, which I joked about the whole time. Like, I know you're going to be on vacation and sure enough, he was, um, there was another doctor there that worked in that office that I had met maybe once, but, um, she wasn't actually in the surgery room. It was, um, residents doing it. <laughs> There's the dog. Sorry. <laughs> Hi puppy. Um, so we go in and, um, we get ready for surgery. Obviously I have no idea. We didn't really get to the surgery part of things and sure. prepping. It was just baby. Right. So <clears throat> here we go. AJ's brought in. And all of a sudden, I never have really responded well to medication. All of a sudden, I've got a migraine and my blood pressure has gone through the roof. I guess most moms, their blood pressure drops drastically and they're ready for that, but not normally going high. And mine went through the roof dangerously so that I thought that my brain was going to bleed out of my eyeballs. I was in the most intense pain I'd ever been in. And is this uh, after they did the spinal? Yes. Okay. After the spinal. Okay. So um, I'm asking for like a wet rag. The anesthesiologist, poor guy, is like trying to find the high blood pressure medicine to give me because he was like ready for low blood pressure. And AJ's not prepared. He doesn't know what happens because it's an emergency C section and they have to get her out quickly. They tug and pull to tear you versus slice you to make the fibers. So he's just watching me flop on this table. And it's, I mean, it's just, He's completely traumatized from it. He has no idea what's going on down there. <clears throat> and the baby comes out. I, I literally felt her this whole time during the whole pregnancy. I just felt, th- and Ed, that's where she was every time for her ultrasound, right underneath my left, or excuse me, right underneath my right breast, uh, underneath my rib cage. She was there the whole time. That's where she sat. Like the whole pregnancy, never really moved. That's where she was wow. always like, crunched up. <clears throat> 
fetal position big time. Um, even though she had the whole uterus to move around and that's where she was. So I literally felt like a, like a kind of feeling when wow. she, like, she didn't want to leave almost. And they were, you know, happy birthday, Colby. Hi, Colby. Like trying to get a response out of her. And the only sound we ever heard her make in her whole entire life was just one little, ah, and that was it. And off she went and she was somewhere else. You know, they, they, I think lifted her for a second. And by the time I got my eyes open for my excruciating headache, she was just a blur passing. Oh, um, <clears throat> so the whole idea was to get her settled in once she was settled in. AJ could go meet her, which is exactly what happened while I was going to go to recovery. So they call AJ back and he doesn't want to leave me because he's traumatized thinking, you know, I'm not okay. And I was like, go be with her, go be with her. She needs skin to skin. She needs somebody, you know, not knowing what condition she's in. And so I rush off to recovery and I had the most wonderful nurse. Her name was Jackie. She called me for weeks after I absolutely love her. Um, and AJ comes back in and he's just very solemn. And, um, I was like, all right, give it, give it to me straight. And this whole time I had told him, you know, I don't care if she's born with wings, I'm going to roll her in glitter and make her mine. Like, (laughs) I don't care who, what she is, what it, what she ends up being. She's, she's going to be amazing. That's it. End of story. And he was like, uh, deer in headlights. Didn't know what to say, how to describe it. Um, and I was like, well, did you get a picture? I mean, he's just standing there. And he said, I did. And he turns the camera around and you see this very deformed yet beautiful little girl of mine, tubes everywhere, um, intubated. She couldn't breathe. Um, just laying on the table and AJ, I think it was just so, how do you attach to something that you can't touch and that you can't, that looks very sick. It's ter- it's terrifying. And so at this point, I'm not crying. I didn't cry the whole time actually. And I said, Oh, she's so sick. She's so sick. And the nurse is like, so you know that she's sick. And I said, Yes, I know that she's sick. And she's like, okay, well, we're gonna get you to meet her as soon as you can. And they they she just talked about, you know, it takes very special parents to be able to go through something like this. I don't realize what she's prepping me for. Um so they end up once I am in recovery, they walk us to her bedside and I get to see her and poor thing. Um so all of her joints were winged. So it's funny that I said, if she was winged, I wouldn't care. I'd roll her in glitter. She was winged. So her wrists were winged. Her elbows were winged. Her chin was attached to her rib cage. There was no trachea. Um, Everything was contractured. Um, And I, I know you saw pictures. Her body was completely curled up and she looked almost like an alien because her arms were so long. Had her body actually been stretched out, she would have been proportional, but she was so tight from all of her joints being stuck together that yeah. you know, she couldn't stretch out. So, you know, I'm prepared. For, we're prepared for this. We're going to have to have surgery. She's going to be a sick baby. It's no big deal. We've got this. So 
they take me back to my room because I need to rest and because the NICU's hot and I can get hot really fast from being out of surgery and I need to rest. I need to rest. I just want to be with her. Yeah. Know how important all those first hour days are to just be touching and holding and all these things. So I literally cool off for an hour and then I'm back down there for an hour and I cool off for an hour and I'm back down there just constantly. They're wheeling me back and forth. And by the next morning, I'm over being wheeled. I'm walking. I'm going to see my daughter when I want. I don't care in the middle of the night. I don't need anybody holding my hand. Watch me walk down this hallway. And they had kept me on the triage ward in the very last room. They never took me to the maternity ward. For the reason that the NICU was on that floor, but also now for more reasons than I under, you know, than I didn't understand at the time. So in the NICU, that specific time was completely full. She got one of the very last beds. And the NICU at St. Vincent Women's Center on 86th Street in Indy is has a higher rating of um, infant success than even Riley does. Wow. So they have the best NICU team, which is why we chose that hospital. So we're going to see her and and we finally were like, all right, let's get some shut eye. And I think it was like 2 a.m. in the morning. They wake us up and they're like, we have a problem with intubation. It's too big. Um, We're getting oxygen in, but she's not getting CO2 out. There's something black. We're not sure what's wrong. It's too big. So it's kinked in her throat Gosh. Um, because there's not normal anatomy there. They don't really know what they're doing. Um, we had a special intubation tube brought over from a different hospital. Um, we need to take you down there and you need to be prepared to say goodbye. Oh my God. What do you, what do you mean? Say goodbye. What are you? What are you, what are you talking about? She's totally fine. Like she just needs surgery. She's going to be okay. Right. So it's not even setting in, like, we're not crying yet. We're not like, that's not even an option. Right. So AJ's behind me and he's holding my hand and there, and we're a couple feet away from her. And there's a team of nine, 10 doctors surrounding her and nurses all, I mean, they've called the specialist in. they've got, I mean, they pulled people out of bed, people from other hospitals surrounding her to make this go well. And believe it or not, boom, it went right in. It was perfect. It was seamless. And we're like, oh, okay. So I stayed with her for a little bit longer until a vital settled. And I'm like, okay. We've, were you able to like touch her at this point? Could you touch her so at we're all? Able to, we're able to touch her. And in some of the pictures you can see, like they kind of like had her strapped down. Um, and so it was like, we could hold her finger. We could touch her foot. Um, she was under the heating lamp, but we really couldn't move her. There was no holding her because yeah. if the tube were to move just wrong, that'd be, we're in an emergent situation. Yeah. Um, and she is at this point getting morphine every two hours because she is in pain. Um, she also can't blink. Her eyes are in a permanent state of open because the, the joint is winged there. The cartilage is whatever, the, whatever makes you blink yeah. is winged. So she can't shut her eyes. So they're putting extra special cream in her eyes and all these things. And so, you know, AJ and I are there as much as trying to read to her, sing to her. I played the music, which goes into my second part of the story, the, the spiritual part of it. Um, and every time we're around her vitals improve, she, you know, she just is lively. She's grasping our finger. You know, there's all these things. Um, 
I didn't mention, sorry, she was three pounds, one ounce. Um, and I think it was 15 inches long. I might be lying about that. I might, yeah, I think it was 15 because Kenley was 18 when she was stretched out. When she was like, stretched I can't out. even imagine them getting that measurement if poor no, thing so tight. AJ was actually a little upset with that because the doctor had to, and she was in pain. You could see it. Her heart rate shot up. She turned beet red. And he was like, it's like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how long she is. Exactly. Leave her alone, you know? Um, So the next morning we wake up and hurry down there after just a few hours of sleep. And we were so lucky. We caught the specialist doctor that was going to diagnose her. His name is Dr. Escobar. And he's really important to the story because one of the strands of what she had um, is called Escobar syndrome. And those children usually live. Wow. So what she had was called lethal multiple pterygian syndrome. First of all, whichever doctor decided to put lethal in a name, mean, just rude. Yeah. yeah. Don't do it. Um, because now you're telling me. Yeah, there's no hope. She's not going to make it. Um, so unfortunately he had a very thick accent. Um, so we didn't quite catch exactly what he called it. Um, so we're like trying to research in the meantime after, I mean, he took five minutes and he knew exactly what it was. Right. Wow. So come in the afternoon, my mom and my dad and my brother are in the room and they had just left to go, my dad's diabetic. So I think to go get him something to drink or whatever. And oh, sorry, the big dogs just walked back in. And um, we have a doctor come to visit us and it's just the two of us in the room. And she basically sits down and tells us, there's no hope. There's no possibility that she's going to make it. She would not be able to thrive unless they got, um, a two put in her trachea and she doesn't have a trachea and they don't even have one small enough to help her breathe. It's she's in pain and she is just leaving earth. So we have a choice to make. We can take her off the intubator and choose when she dies, or we can fight with her until her body leaves. And my parents walked back in after the doctor left. And we just, I mean, here we are just sitting with this for the very first few seconds. And my mom walks in and I just turn and look at her and I just shake my head and I lose it. And AJ is losing it. And very quickly, I asked my parents to leave the room and they went ahead and went home. And uh, AJ and I are just left with this decision to make, like, it felt like, do you kill your daughter or do you let her die? You know, and that sounds harsh, but that's what it was. And so I, we went down and we visited her several more times. And I just kind of went into my atypical mode where I'm going to take charge yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to make decisions, but I'm going to run everything by AJ and I'm going to make sure that he's okay with it because he's very methodical and he thinks things through and he likes to take time. And I am a snap decision kind of girl. Yeah. And this is our daughter that I'm making these huge decisions over. So 
obviously we inform our whole family and we decided we're going to let anybody in our family come visit her and meet her that wants to. So we set up a visiting schedule for the next day and my sister and her husband come down and she sings to her and my brother sings to her and John gets to meet her and he was so scared. He just, cause she was so fragile and his, his mom came from Ohio. I mean, just these mountains were moved in less than 24 hours for everyone to get to meet her. Could they bring you guys in a private room at this point with her or was, were you, no, not yet. Not until it was time to disconnect. Okay. She was just way too fragile. And this is when, this is like, this is day two. This is day two. We have to make the decision Okay. in between the evening of day two and the morning of day three visits are being made. <clears throat> so his sister, God bless her soul. She wanted nothing more than to be here, but she lives in uh, Massachusetts and she couldn't make it. Um, but she's a photographer and she heard of now I lay me down to sleep, which Megan talked about. And I'd never heard of that. And I thought, absolutely. I didn't even know that that was an option. And AJ is saying, hell no, you, I don't want someone in that moment. I don't want to share that with it. That's for us. And I was like, but I'm, I'm in, I want those pictures. I'm going to re we haven't held her yet. This is going to be the first time we get to hold her. Like, so I kind of talked him into that one. That was the only decision that I made that I think he was a little iffy about, but the rest of it, I decided, okay, this is how we're going to do it. Family's going to come. I'm going to put makeup on. We're going to get our pictures taken. Then we're going to take our time with her. They're going to unhook her and we're just, we're going to be there. Right. And figure it out from there. So all those things happen. And I told them when I walk down there to take these pictures, I want to be discharged. I don't want to come back to this room because they were offering us the room for another night as long as we needed. And I was like, yeah. When we go down there, I'm done. I want out. And of course there's all these lovely nurses and, you know, ministers that are coming and, and Megan talked about this a little bit, like God's will and God's gaining another an angel. <laughs> no, not here. Um, and I was very open and honest about that. Um, thank you for wanting to pray, but yeah. I'm done with all that. So we have the last visit and the time has come and they've given us our discharge, discharge papers and AJ unfortunately brought the wrong dress. So I look like I'm like marching down the aisle in a white wedding gown to go say goodbye to my daughter. This <laughs> is the dress that I wanted, which is such a small detail, but added a bit of humor to a very tragic sure. moment. And they put us in a room right next to her crib and three nurses bring her in. Specifically, I remember her main nurse, Charlie, who was just a god a godsend she was amazing and the photographer's there and we're getting pictures of holding her for the first time and it was a little harsh not in the beginning they were doing a wonderful job but it was just okay now you hold her now okay and not really posing us but just like yeah they know what's coming and we don't know what's coming so they're doing their job to make sure that we have time right so the photographer pretty much is done. There was a few shots taken after her tubes were taken out and those were extremely quick. And then she exited the room. Um, but 
after the photo, the first group of photos were done, we just sat with her. We played music. We sang to her. We talked to her. She loved holding AJ's hand. Like just, I mean, loved it, grasped it, didn't want to let go. Um, and then the tubes were taken out and I did not know what it was like to watch someone die. I didn't know that they turned purple and I didn't know the struggle for last breath. I don't know. I guess I just wasn't really, I didn't know what I didn't know. And I wasn't expecting that. So that was very difficult. AJ and I getting to hold her and her last breath being taken. And the last time she holds his hand and she doesn't want to let go. I mean, just like all these little moments that you never thought you'd have to deal with that you never thought even think about even like when a parent dies you don't think about those things I don't think but having it be this you know three pound in your hand and you're never going to get to hold them again it's just it's the most unreal feeling in the world and so we take our time and we're finished and that was very hard too because they took her from the room but then when we walked out she was still laying right there um and Charlie, the nurse said, you know, I'm going to give her a bath. And looking back now, I didn't know I could have been a part of that. Yeah. You know, like there's yeah. things like that. And thank God for Megan and all that she's doing that you don't realize that you get to be a part of these things or you get to do these things or I could have, you know, the one thing I got to do with the mother is put my colostrum in her mouth. Um, and I got to change her diaper once and that was beautiful, you know? Um, but I missed out on so many other things, obviously. Um, so as we left, I think that that was the hardest moment walking to the truck without your baby, um, going home and the crib being there and the bassinet set up and the clothes are there and the dogs are wondering what's going on, you know? Um, that was probably, that was really tough. Um, a bit of humor in all of this was his truck is extremely high and I couldn't get in it. So watching, <laughs> him, watching him boost a 220 pound woman up was very funny. I'm sure for people watching, but it was all very devastating. Um, and so the weeks to follow, obviously his work was lovely and gave him as much time as he needed. And I think we, we sat outside for the majority of the next two weeks and we talked and we were silent and we just held each other. It was, it was just surreal. It was just like a moment in time, completely paused. Like, what do you do? You know, exactly that. you were supposed to have a baby in your arm and now you don't, she was just supposed to have surgery and everything was going to be okay. No one told me she was going to die. Um, and you know, all these things like, do you want an obituary and do you want a funeral? And no, like, and to us, it was no, we felt like the party for her life was her baby shower, <laughs> which was filled with over 200 people of our closest. It was like a wedding party. Honestly, it was ridiculous. And we felt like that was her party. And that was a really enough another tough piece that I wanted to touch on for moms is the funeral home and the service. So the after 
So we were told we would be in communication the whole time when she would be transferred from the hospital to the funeral home. And we decided to cremate her so we could always have her with us because we didn't know where we were going to end up or, you know, and sure. didn't want a great night to go visit. Like we want her with us wherever we are. So um, we decided to have her cremated completely naked into the earth naked. She never got to wear clothes. So, you know, just, just as she was. And, you know, it's, it's a very personal, but impersonal business transaction. Sure. Sure. You know, of course they have to try to sell an urn and they, you know, all these things. And, um, we just decided, no, we were going to find our own because I'll talk about this in a minute, but she was, it was our swan. And so we wanted to find a swan to put her in. And, um, it was just very tough going, going back and like getting the tiniest bag. And you're like this in this big, like gift bag with the name of the funeral home on it. And they told us that they were going to keep us in communication where she was the whole time. And like a day had passed. And I was like, talking to the funeral home lady, like, do you have her yet? And she was like, Oh, sorry, I didn't get a hold of you. Yeah, we have her. I'm thinking that she's laying cold at the hospital. And uh, what are you, you know, like, it was just, that was probably one of the most traumatic pieces was finding that closure and the funeral home, a very reputable funeral home, dropping the ball big time on such a tragic moment in our lives. Like, here we are driving to go pick up our daughter's ashes. And it was just so cold, all of it. It just, it wasn't awesome. Um, so that was, that was pretty traumatic. And I probably will never go to another funeral home again. Like, I don't know if I could, it was just awful. Yeah. Um, so while this is all happening simultaneously to back up in the middle of my pregnancy was my spiritual journey. Um, I have always, I was raised Catholic I went to Catholic school. Um, and then as I moved on to LA, there was all these different religions and all these different ideas and ideals. And I really did a lot of searching for what was for me. And I realized that I'm very much a universe person. Um, I'm an energetic person. What you put out is what you get in. Um, and I just was chaotic the whole pregnancy. I just wasn't comfortable. I couldn't feel her. I wasn't comfortable. There was just I had a lot of people obviously then go to God and grasp to God for hope. And I just wasn't, it wasn't that I necessarily needed something to fill that hole. I just needed to find peace and I wasn't finding myself. So one of my best friends, Brandon Anderson, his sister, Jessica, we just started becoming close at this time during my whole Colby journey, recommended a unbelievable shamanist goddess spiritual healer, teacher, guru, beautiful woman. Like I can't say enough about this woman. She's amazing. Her name's Nicole Altman. And she's like, you need to go to Nicole. You need to get in a session with Nicole, just a chakra relining. You just need a spiritual healing with her. And I was like, I will sign me. (laughs) So I go and obviously I kind of, she knows my story a little bit. I fill her in about what's going on. And she's like, I'm just I just want you to lay here and breathe and I'll let you know when the session's done. And I was like, okay. So I get up on her bed table thing and she lays a pack over my eyes and she starts anointing me with oils and sage and Palo Santo. And it's, you know, all these smells and all this wonderfulness and this warm music fills the room that she intuitively picks for me for this session. 
And I just feel, and I'm a, I'm a bit of a skeptic at the same time. Like I guess being in LA for such a long time, like there's a lot of hubbub and hullabaloo. Right. And all of a sudden I just feel this like warmth, just, just rush through me. And she starts working, you know, down the shocker line. And I don't know where she's at. She's not yeah. touching me, but I can feel energy. I can feel warmth. And I'm, I'm not kidding when I say this. Actually, I'm getting chills. Um, she got to my womb and Colby danced with her hands for five minutes. I felt my daughter. I, I didn't want to leave. I wanted her to just stay with me touching my wound. I mean, it was the most intense feeling. I could feel, I could feel that she was in there. It was insane that this was happening. And, um, she finishes the session and I'm like, sign me up for another. I'm like, can I come back every day? I want to feel my daughter every day. It was just, it was insane. And she just taught me all these amazing tools of how to send love and light to her and like feel that warmth and, um, be able to connect with her through music and through song and meditation and journaling and sitting in nature. And during one of these sessions, um, she was specifically working up at my, up at my crown and she was having me send heart warmth, heart light down to Colby and surround her. And you, you know, imagine protecting her in this warm light. And she said, all of a sudden, she just sees this swan fly out of my chest up into her face. And that's how she became a swan. That was her spirit animal. So from that moment on, and I shit you not, I know that like people will say, well, now that you've made, now that you were aware of it, of course, you're going to see it more, which, okay, to a point, whatever. But all of a sudden I leave that session and there's a swan in the pond, which I've never seen before. And AJ and I go to Goodwill two weeks later and we're looking for art for my spa. And there's a swan with her mother and this random art at Goodwill. And I mean, it's just like all these things start happening where the swan is just popping up constantly. So she automatically becomes our swan. Um, and Nicole was with us through the whole journey. I was on bed rest. She made special arrangements to see me, um, which she does not do. I mean, she, she doesn't travel whatsoever. That's not her jam because there's energies and houses and other things. It's not her space. It's not cleansed. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So she makes special arrangements for me. And, um, I remember on the way home from the hospital, I had told her that Colby passed and she was so angry with her spirit guides and with, you know, the angels that watch out for her, that they didn't tell her that that was coming to prepare me. And I think like through time, her and I both realized that had she told me any of that, she's not a psychic. That's not what I'm trying to say. It's, it's all guided. It's all intuitive. Um, had I known that, would she have fought what I have fought, what I've given up, would the pregnant, would I've just cried for weeks and lost her because multiple Pterygian syndrome are not supposed to make it past 24 weeks. Colby made it 37 weeks and 49 hours on earth. Like 49 hours on earth is a miracle in and of itself. The fact that she even passed 24 weeks in utero is I mean, it's just all insane. All of it is insane. She shouldn't have, she just shouldn't. She wanted to meet us and she wanted to have a purpose and she wanted to have an impact. Um, so Nicole was with us all the way. I still see Nicole. I haven't actually seen her in over a year now. Um, 
because of COVID. Um, and she has virtual sessions, but it's very difficult with the dogs and like just trying to concentrate. It's easier just to like, yeah, for me, for my energy, I'm very ADD. Like I'd be thinking like, oh, I should be doing the dishes while she's chanting over it. Like that's not the whole purpose of yeah. it. So, yeah. Um, but she's been there. I still talk to her. She's constantly checking it. She's just, she's wonderful. So obviously I saw her then through the grieving process. And those were some very difficult sessions. Um, the very, it's going to make me cry again. Sorry. The very first session when I went after Colby passed, she said, Kelly, she's laying there. She's rubbing your hair. She's with you on my right side again. She's with you. She's rubbing your hair. She's with you all the time. She's never leaving your side. She loves you so much. You know, she's, everything's okay, mom. I'm okay. Um, and Colby was coming to her in other people's sessions that had nothing to do with me, but was coming up for a purpose, for a reason. She was constantly coming to her and I think still does from what I recall, but she was able to give me contact with my daughter, um, which was so important for me and AJ who is way more of a skeptic than I am. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's not feeling it. He's not in the sessions with me. He's just, you know, I'm coming home and I'm like, yeah, she was there. I got to feel her move or, you know, all these things. So, um, and she said, you know, she's going to come to you in rainbows and butterflies now in the afterlife. And we're like, okay, obviously she's still our swan. We special ordered a swan urn for her and we gave a piece of her to each of our very, you know, intimate family members so they could always be with her. And we're going to get tattoos from Native Inc., which you probably don't remember. Lady in Elwood, Brandy, she does, she's going to put her ashes in ink and then we're going to have her tattooed. So she, her DNA will always be in us. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. I love, I, it was actually AJ's idea and then he looked it up and it was a thing and Brandy said that she would do it. So it, I mean, it was AJ's That's incredible. good, good for him to like really connect. I love it. Um, so bluebirds. So one day we're sitting in our room, you know, still very much grieving and we hear on the window and we turn around and it's a bluebird and I'm not kidding you. This bluebird came back almost daily and then it was weekly and then it was monthly, but she'd follow us around the different rooms of the house that we were in. Like when we would be talking about Colby or like needing a moment, here comes this bird who we call Colby knocking on the window, just, Hey mom, Hey dad, I'm here. I haven't left. And so we just did this big move 40 minutes away. And one of AJ's biggest thing was like tearfully, yeah. is she going to know where to go? Is she, what about the bluebird? Is she going to follow us? And I think one of the first days that he was really setting up outside, he sees this bluebird and he was mid conversation with somebody else. And he just like stopped and like was overwhelmed with emotion. Like she's here. She made it home. She's so it's just my spiritual journey through all of this. I, you know, connecting with nature, but really like connecting with the spirit of her that is past and the spirit that was her inside of me when I couldn't hold her and I couldn't touch her, just making it so tangible. It was just, it was just so beautiful and bigger than anything. You can't tell me that it does, it doesn't exist. Sorry. I'm, I'm going to have to hurry up and wrap it up because she's frustrated but here. Yeah. On to my last part, my miracle, my rainbow baby. So here we go into what was grieving and trying to get back to normal life. And do we have another kid? Do we not, you know, 
do we even try This is a recessive gene. So him and I both carry this gene. So every time we get pregnant, we have a 25% chance of this happening again. Every single time we get pregnant. It is unreal to me, like how rare it is for, for, for both of you. Both of us have it. I know. And like, we made sure like we did genealogy. We're not related in any way down the line. <laughs> how small is. Like we made sure that, and it's, it just is a thing. So it's not like we get pregnant four times. This happened once. This means every time we get pregnant, there's a 25% chance of something happening. So, um, five months after she passed, I'm pregnant again. I didn't realize it was that quick. Yeah. Which is also very bad for a C-section mom. Sure. Yeah. You have not had time to heal for any mother, but specifically C-section. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm, we're still grieving. Right. So I'm pregnant. It's a surprise. Um, here we go again, back to maternal fetal medicine. We're getting all the tests taken again and everything's turning up negative. Everything's turning up positive. Everything's good. She's great. I can go to a regular doctor. And so I didn't realize I told you this before, how little ultrasounds you get with a healthy pregnancy that sucked because just that doubt, that worry in your mind, the whole time where I was able to see Colby every week, two, three times a week towards the end, I got to see Kenley three times, maybe max. It was just not okay for me at all. Yeah. And I saw maternal fetal medicine all the way up until 37 weeks, I think. And then after 37 weeks, they released me and she was born at 39. Um, but just that whole ride of, is something going to be wrong when they don't see it and something's going to, it was, it was intense and it was emotional. Um, but she's here and she's perfect. We had a scare. Her umbilical cord was wrapped around her neck five times, which the doctors have never seen that in their whole history of doctorhood. They've seen three times, but they've never seen five. Um, so for her to actually, it was another, I went in for my scheduled C-section and then her heart rate was decelerating again and they rushed us back. They didn't even take off my jewelry. I mean, I went right back. Um, and this anesthesiologist, we had prepared for high blood pressure and did your migraine hit again? No, he gave me a little bit of fentanyl, I guess in this one. And let me tell you, I could have slept through the surgery. I was very sleepy (laughs) and very happy. Yeah. Yeah. And we got to hold her right after and skin to skin. Like it was all those moments I didn't get that we got. Um, it was just, it was, it was so beautiful. It was such a turnaround story and it just really brought hope that there was beauty after something so tragic. And we talked to her about Colby all the time. AJ built a um, memoir shelf, which we don't have up right now, but it has all of her swans on it. And the book that I got him when Colby grows up that sits on it and just like all these things that are for her. Um, and my dear sweet friend, Farron, who, you know, every time her and her son, Max come over, they always walk to her shelf and say hi to her and talk to her before we start our afternoon activities. Um, she's very much just remembered and all of my family and friends, they all talk about her. Um, I even ask you like, can I, is it weird to sign cards with her name on it? Because I don't know. She's a part of our family. She hasn't gone anywhere to us, although she may not be here physically. She's very much our daughter and always will be. So, um, 
Sorry, I talked the whole time and you got no, to No, please. Me. No, it's, I mean, like, that's kind of how it's supposed to go. <laughs> I wanted it. I, and I was like, just kind of enamored with the whole story. I want to make sure I didn't miss anything or do you have any specific questions for? Was there any point in the pregnancy with Kenley that you feel like you could like kind of breathe a little bit? Like, did you get to a certain point in your pregnancy where you're like, okay, things are going well. I think I can just. No. Yeah. (laughs) Because at 37 weeks when I was supposed to feel comfortable, she started to move less, which I guess is normal. Yeah. They're big. Because they run out of space. Um, but it almost felt different. And I wish I would have listened to my mommy voice and asked for them to do an ultrasound. Yeah. Because I think that's when she was starting to wrap up in her umbilical cord. Ah, okay. They were shocked that she was alive when she came out and like made it, um, because it was wrapped so tightly. And I think that that started happening at 37 weeks. And I started to get nervous at 37 weeks that what once was like, an extremely active child all of a sudden, like almost went to a dead stop. Yeah. And that really worried me. And I wish I would have said something, but again, not knowing what a healthy pregnancy is Yeah, in reading, like, no, their movements slow down. It's normal. I was like, oh, okay. Meanwhile, she was, she was born by the time we left the hospital, she was five pounds, 10 ounces. So she wasn't even yeah, big baby, right? <laughs> you know? Right. So something was wrong and I wish I would have listened to it. Um, I wasn't in constant panic, but I was definitely just prepared for something to go wrong all the time. I was just waiting for that one ultrasound or that one. Every time I went to the bathroom, I checked for blood. Like I just, I couldn't just like wipe and like, let it go. It was like, I had to look, I had to make sure I was okay. So no, not really. Yeah. That's a, that's a fair answer. Oh, that's okay. Do you feel like, did you do anything because you went on this healing journey with Colby and you were still in the middle of that? Like, was there, was there a new practice maybe that Nicole had taught you that you started doing with your pregnancy with Kenley that maybe helped in those moments? Like when you just had to like, okay, like (laughs) I've done the wipe test. Now I gotta, I gotta recover from that. Like, yeah. So for sure, like preparing my body for pregnancy was totally different this time. I went vegan and I was pregnant within a month. Um, I didn't stay vegan very long, but <laughs> I was vegan to get pregnant. Um, and listening to my body and honoring my flow. I was working in the beginning before COVID hit pregnant with Kinley. And there were just days where I was tired and I couldn't do it. Um, I also started growing a really close attachment with crystals through Colby's, um, birth, the energy of crystals and the power that they can bring, um, putting around my bathtub, my bath was really like my time to like breathe and re-energize. And I did a lot of like putting crystals on her belly and I would start to get movements, putting crystals on her belly. And it was journaling was a big piece of it, but more than anything, after everything that Nicole taught me was to put on some music, turn off all other noise, put away my phone and really listen to what my body was telling me. What is my energy telling me? What is the baby telling me? What is she telling me that she needs today? Does she need to sit and be calm? Does she need rest? Does she need a walk? Is she totally fine and I can go about my day and work and be normal? Um, So if anything, Nicole taught me awareness more than anything is just to really drop into yourself and find that power within yourself to be awesome moms that we know we are, yeah. that are capable yeah. of doing, but we doubt so much. Um, so that was really, I think, 
the biggest piece was just to turn off the noise and just be. I love that so much. I think that like we are literally created to have that innate and that intuition. And there are so many things outside noise wise, whether it's doctors or things that we read or whatever, like that, that um, I think make us feel like we should doubt and we should trust other sources other than that voice or those, those pings that we have like going on in our bodies and our hearts and being self-aware when you're pregnant, I think is one of the most important, but also most beautiful things that you can do in pregnancy, because this is, I mean, the connection with your child on her side is obviously beautiful and incredible, but there is nothing like having this growing baby inside of your belly and truly the communication that you have even before you've met eyes or I'm picking up my sweetheart. Sorry. No, it's okay. (laughs) Kenny. Daddy did a good job. He went awful quiet. Daddy did a good job. He was like, oh, you're taking her from me? Okay, I know you're not done. (laughs) Hey. Hi. Sorry, I didn't mean to stop your thought. No, please. No, it's okay. It's awesome. It makes me happy. It makes me happy. You look so much bigger already just from the last time I saw you. Wow, you're super wide-eyed right now. What does Daddy do with you out there? Huh? We were watching hunting shows. Coyotes <laughs> You're going to be ready. But yeah, I just think that it's such a beautiful time. And I do think that it's easy. It's easy to, even though you have those connections, I think it's, it is very easy because there are other things in life going on and you've got a million, you got to worry about your job. You got to worry about marriage. You got to, or, you know, partnership, like friendships. Like there's so many other things that are still so important and you are prioritizing before this baby really becomes like this being that you're caring for and said everything changes so much. But if you can really tap into just really flowing with the baby and listening to the baby and listening to your body, it becomes so, so much more of a magical experience. Like I think pregnancy, even for moms that are like really going through the, like the trenches and like first trimester um, or like are dealing with a lot of fear based on, you know, information they're getting with ultrasounds and things. I do think that it can be a magical experience no matter what it just really has to be like, just taking the time to connect with the baby in a way that you were truly given, like. 100%. And honestly, when they say, you know, these nine, 10 months of pregnancy is the only time you get alone with the baby. It's so, so that's it. That's yours. No one, no, no doctors touching it. No mom's giving an opinion. No, you don't have to share her. No clothes are touching her. Like it's, or him. It's just you. That's it. Like it's like, I'm ready to be pregnant now. And I have a three month old. Like, I'm like, let's get it going. The doctors would kill me. Oh my gosh. The doctors would kill me. But like, I'm it's just such a, so magical. It's so beautiful. I, I, I love 100% it. percent agree. I totally, totally agree. Girl. Connect, connecting with, especially your first pregnancy. You don't really understand what that means. Like, yeah, like you get it, but you don't get it until. And I think that's why Nicole helped me so much. She helped me really connect with Colby on such a bigger level. I mean, I got to feel her move. It was just incredible. It's, it's insane. so incredible. It's so insane. The swan and the bird, like the blue bird right now. Like, I just can't stop thinking about that. I just think that that's, 
And you have to be open to those things. Like you, you know, or you don't see them, right? Like you have to be open to some of that. And, and yeah, it's hard to like, you know, if I had a conversation like that with Cameron, probably, you know, like, especially just off the wall, he would probably be like, oh, okay, sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But And that's definitely, I think, how it was perceived by some of my family or some of my friends. They were like, cool, Kelly, <laughs> the swan, her spirit animal, you know. Um, but unless you actually lived it, like, I think probably that's pr- that maybe I, I don't want to speak for him. That's probably sure. how AJ felt during yeah. part of it till it became in his face. It became so real. And then he was like, oh, maybe there's something to this, you know, I'm not saying that he would ever go get a healing session. He probably wouldn't be down for, you know, he, that probably would still make him uncomfortable or whatever, yeah. but he now, I mean, he connects with it. He connects with the swan. He connects with the bluebird. I can't tell you how many times he's been in this tree stand and he's like, sis came to visit me today. Just like this bluebird hanging out with him. And it's just, it's a special way to feel closeness. Um, it's amazing. I, I'm so thankful that Nicole gave us that gift. Like it, had we not had that, I, it would be very hard still, still to cope and like have that tangibleness yeah. part, yeah. part of her. So you mentioned, and I'm trying to remember at what point in the story it might've been. It, I don't know if it was when you were in the hospital, you had, you had mentioned this music or a certain specific song. Was there something else you wanted to bring up about that? Yeah. So something that Nicole did was, um, every time you go for a session, she intuitively beforehand has no idea what's going on with your day or what is happening, picks music to play during your session. And I mean, it could be like Tracy Chapman, fast car to, (laughs) you know, some beautiful meditative music. Like it's a gamut. It's whatever she's feeling you need, your energy needs. Um, and ended up curating the most beautiful playlist. And that is what, even to this day, I still play when I'm missing her, even during Kenley's birth um, or pregnancy, um, to connect with Colby and to connect more spiritually than anything. And when Colby was in the hospital laying there, you know, I don't want to say unresponsive because she was grasping her hands, but, you know, just in pain. start her blood pressure would start to rise she'd start to get upset whatever it may be I'd start playing the music that I played for her in utero and just this calmness would set over her and it was just so so magical that even after when I saw Nicole after her passing um Nicole brought me some amazing songs that was that still make me cry um I can't sing them I try to get through them and it doesn't happen um that just have transformed my healing process my grieving process you know I could be feeling some sort of way and there's just this certain song that takes me back to a piece of the session I was in with her and it just it makes everything okay it just reminds it grounds me it takes me back to you know peace um and so music music obviously is a big part of both of our lives Mm -hmm. but even more so during my (laughs) pregnancy with Colby it was I and I'm a big tv watcher and I probably listen to music way more than I watched a movie or I have to have something in the background all the time and it's normally just like a tv show playing like true crime show just like in the background (laughs) and with 
Colby's pregnancy, it was playlists const- constantly, constantly, constantly. I just always had music going because um, I wanted to feel connected to her because I couldn't, yeah. you know, yeah. I couldn't feel her. So yeah. I wanted, I wanted her to know that I was there and I wanted to know that she was there. And that was, that was a really great tool that I'm really thankful for. And now I have this yeah. amazing playlist that I get to share with my sisters and my brother yeah. and my mom and McKinley. I mean, McKinley. <laughs> I mean, this morning morning we woke up and that's the first thing we did was we looked through pictures of this and talked about her for a little bit. So Um, sweet. That's amazing. I love that. I'm going to throw one out on you and you can take a second to think about it and I can cut out the silence and the thought process or whatever. But do you feel like after both of the experiences, experience with Colby and the healing and your spiritual journey, and then now being a mother and having this beautiful, super healthy, like just, gosh, she's just so cute. Um, Do you feel like you're living life in a different way, um, especially kind of as a mother than maybe you would have if you hadn't gone through that traumatic and that loss with Colby? A thousand percent. Um, just my transition from LA to Indiana changed a little bit. Um, but even more so, I think I would have, you know, I'm the oldest of 30 something grandkids on one side of the family. And so I've been there, done that, helped babysit, raise them, you know, like you are that mother figure. Like (laughs) that's how I remember you as a kid. Like you seriously. Well, thank you. I just feel like it would have been more like, of course she would have been mine and it would have been special, but it was, it was just a baby you know, and now like I soak up every moment I'm so lucky that AJ is able to work and provide for us. So I don't miss a coup and I don't a dirty diaper, like, Oh, she pooped. I'll go change it. Like I'm thankful (laughs) for it. You know, um, it's just every moment is exciting to me. Like, what do you want for Christmas? I want nothing. I have her, like I have everything I need. I'm got a roof over my head, the love of my life. I've got this beautiful baby here on earth with me. And I, you know, I just, I don't need for anything. I don't care if I look like crap. I don't care if I haven't showered in six days and I vomit running down my back. Like I am the happiest. I'm just, I'm so happy. And I, every moment is cherished, you know, I don't take anything for granted anymore. It's even like, I almost burned down the house yesterday. Literally, I'm not joking. Like, I literally set the air fryer on fire because <laughs> on the stove and the stove caught fire and the plastic was burning and it was this whole thing. And like, all I could think about was like, how do I save her? Like, how do I go get Colby's ashes? And then how, like, it's just every, it's, I'm there. I'm in every moment. I try not to, I try not to turn away, yeah. you know? Yeah. I try every sleeping second, I, although it's frustrating, I want to unpack and I want to clean. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to get this for too long. She's only going to be this small today and tomorrow she's going to grow and it's going to be something new. So I think yeah. I look at it differently. Had I just had a healthy child, the healthy pregnancy the first time around, I don't know if I would have cherished, cherished as much taken it, I guess maybe as seriously as I try to now I take pictures of her every day so I can watch her grow. Ooh. 365 when it comes to her year birth. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. And obviously this is no comparison at all, but you know, the, the miscarriages, I think actually, and I definitely loved every, I loved, I loved the baby moments and I loved, actually my my sister Alicia told me something 
very, very early on after having Miles on, I think it was probably after one of the nights of calling her of a cluster feed and like crying, like I'm tired, I'm exhausted, like, you know, I'm ah. And she, um, she told me like, I know it's really, really hard right now, but you need to, if you can try to just enjoy, even when you're exhausted and and Miles is crying and you can't get him to sleep and you're so tired and it feels like it's never going to end. Like try to enjoy those moments because they won't be there forever. And you'll wish that you had later. And I remember that really, like, I remember being able to think about that rocking him in the rocking chair. But after these couple of miscarriages, it's interesting because I've, it has definitely changed how I witness moments in a day with miles. Now it's just that switch in perspective a little bit of how precious it is. I mean, truly how precious it is, like how precious life is when you see that baby in the ultrasound. I mean, it's just like so, so precious and such a gift. And anyway, something that I don't know. It's, it's unexplainable. Yeah. It's yeah. You know, yeah. she was not making noises a couple weeks ago, and now <laughs> all these noises. You know what I mean? Yes, I, I totally do. And AJ said, like, she's not doing ooh like she used to. Now it's all these other sounds ooh. along with ooh, and I want the ooh back because her lip curled a certain way. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's just, yes. it goes by so fast. So bring on the screams oh, and the dirty yes. diapers. I'm all for it. Like, Love it. I want it all. I don't want to miss a moment. Can you remind me, this will be my last question and we'll wrap things up. Can you remind me the month and the year that Colby passed? Yes. So she was born July 18th, 2020 and passed July 20th, 2020. And Kenley was born September 28th, 20, sorry. Wait. Nope, 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 nope. <laughs> I was just like, wait oh, a second, that is Anna. Colby was born July 18th, 2019, past July 20th, 2019. And she was born, Kenley was born September 28th, 2020, which is also my grandma's birthday. Oh, really? So I felt like it was very angelic. It was very momentous for that to happen. That's amazing. Okay. Well, the reason why I wanted to bring that up is that, um, I remember, so I remember us texting a little bit when you were still pregnant and I was checking, I think you might've made an update online or something, checked in with you and just like, how are things going? And you were, I think you had probably updated me at that point of like spina bifida and like, that's what they're thinking. And we're going to kind of see how things go. We're going to all these checks. And, um, and then I remember I asked you the date cause I was trying to really remember like how old miles was at the time. But I remember we were camping out in the living room. We had pulled like this mattress out in the living room. We were camping out and watching TV and it was probably a lazy day. And I remember seeing Kathleen make a post on Facebook and Cameron and I just bawled our eyes out and hugged Miles so close. And I remember being so like just heartbroken and worried for you for so long. And of course, then you eventually kind of came back, right? And you started- I, you know, maybe it was like when Kenley, when you found out you're pregnant with Kenley or, um, and then this call we had a couple of weeks back, it was like, I haven't, didn't really realize it until just having our conversation right now, but there has been such a like relief over me of just seeing how you're just so strong and it's just incredible. It is incredible where you are and it is incredible who you are. And it's like hearing you tell the story and your journey and how you like the way you look at things. And 
I just think it's miraculous. And it just really is like so relieving to me of like somebody I love so much, even though we hadn't been talking a whole lot, like to think about somebody like that in so much pain, not knowing really what's going on, being so far away. And I think having this constant thing in the back of my head of like, every time I thought of you, I thought of heartache and it just like, it was breaking my heart. And then I just feel nothing but like joy and love and warmth for you. And I just, I can feel it. Like I'm, I'm looking at you and you're just beaming right now with her in your arms. And I just, you know, I know I, the thing, things happen for a reason has never always settled right with me because I just think sometimes there aren't answers right. for these things, but you know, the way you began talking about it of impacting other people and, and spreading this journey and your story. And I just think maybe there's not a reason that Colby couldn't be here right now, but she does have a story and she is making impact and you recognize that. And I think that's so powerful. I think there's one of the first things I did after she passed was join these Facebook groups for mothers grieving child loss. Right. And I kept seeing these moms, my child died 10 years ago and I still can't move. I've lost my husband. I'm on disability. I can't breathe. You know, I lost oh my, my child 30 years ago and I ball every single day. And I looked at AJ and I was like, I don't, I don't want to be that mom. I don't want to live in her grief. She'd be pissed. I'd be pissed at my mom if I died and she cried every day. Like that's not fair. And I think that there's, I mean, I definitely cried every day for a very long time yeah, and there's yeah. things that I cry, um, but not all day and not just sitting in the sadness. And that's why AJ and I found it really important to find ways to memorialize her life. Um, my pregnancy, what I went through, what we went through, and then those 49 hours we got together and then all moments after with the bluebirds tapping on the window and things like that. His mom bought us, his mom and his sister bought us this beautiful wind chime. And every time it starts to roll, he's like, ah, oh, sis is singing to us. <sighs> I mean, we literally talk about her. She's in our daily lives. It's, she's not gone. And I think it's so important for people who have had anything traumatic happen to them, find the small sliver of beauty in it Yeah, because you can live in it and it can consume you and it can ruin your life but we chose instead of her ruining our lives, she was such a beautiful miracle that fought to spend time with us. Why would we honor her in grief and sadness? That just doesn't make any sense because she came so we could be happy. So we would have a chance to meet her. And for all the moms that go through a miscarriage and don't get to meet their angels, I can't imagine. I mean, I, that's not happened to me. So I can't even put words into, you know, not, having your child in your arms, I'm, I'm sure the, the pain is almost empty, you know? Um, and AJ talk about talk and I talk about this all the time, whether you lost a child when they were 18 years old, or you lost a child at four weeks in utero, the heaviness of the grief is the same. There is no, Oh my gosh, but they were 18. You know, there was so much life there left to live, or they lived so much, but then the four week old, all the well, I never got to, I never got to see the first steps. I never got to see her graduate. I never, you know, it, it, you can't weigh it out. The grief is so heavy, no matter which end of the pendulum loss is lost. Um, and I just, yeah, circling back, I guess that we just, we couldn't, we didn't want to live in tragedy and live in sadness. We wanted to 
try to make something beautiful out of her life because we didn't want that to be her story, you know? Yeah. You're amazing. Well, and I'm so thankful for that because I just, the way that you give back and I know it's not just me and I know, I know I'm not the only one that you're sending sweet messages to. I get these texts from Kelly and she's like checking in with me, but she just like fills me with so much love and, and, um, you literally, you just like make my day with a text message. And so I am so just thankful that you have made it through to the place that where you are, because you're strong for you and you're strong for Kenley and you're strong for AJ, but you're also strong for a lot of other people. And I hope you know just how like, truly, I mean, I think that um, maybe you're not told often enough or, you know, it's just, uh, I'm thankful for it. I love you. I I love you too. I, all right, I'll let you go. I cannot wait to come and visit and hug you. I don't know when that's going to be, but I can not wait or us come to you. Oh, please do. Florida. Hello, ocean. Come on down. Yeah. As soon as we get safe from the doctor and COVID is at a tame, AJ works six days a week, like 14, 16 hours a day. He won't miss us a couple of days. <laughs> well, you remember Florida is a different animal when it comes to all this stuff going on. They're a, little, they're a little more loosey goosey. So I'm ready. I'm ready for you whenever, but yes, you let me know when you're, when you feel safe. I'm hoping we get there in the summer at some point, maybe because okay. Cameron will be traveling and working a lot, but so it may just be us. Empowering mamas. And, yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. I love you so much. Thank you so much for sharing your story and thank you for letting me share. No, I love it. I love it. We'll talk soon. Yep. Love you. Bye, Bye Kenny. Bye. Thank you, AJ. <laughs> hey, mamas, before you peace out, if what you just heard inspired you, made you feel like you've got a new BFF, or simply reminded you of another mama, please share this episode or the podcast and be sure to tag me if you share it on social. My hope is to touch as many of you as possible and drive this mama led movement. If you're with me, and I know that you are, please take a minute and leave a review. Hearing from you makes my heart so happy, and your review could encourage another mama in need to hop on this journey with us. So let's make a pact. I'll bring the fire, and in return, you help me strengthen our mama collective so we may together make the transformation from messy to truly inspired. Let's get it, mama.